0: That's okay, this is the final, but I want us to go back to the to the two verses that we've used all the way through, um, because I'm hoping that you are remembering this, that it has been drummed into your brain. And it's in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 to 7, and um, whenever we get to the I wills, I want to hear it I will. Yes? Good. All right, here we go. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and... Bring you out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. Free you from being slaves to them and redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. Take you as my own people. It's getting weaker as we go. Be your God, then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the oppression of the Egyptians. And so the first promise is what? That God will... save us. I'm so glad we've only done this for six weeks, that he will save us. When it says that he will bring you out from under the oppression, that's speaking of sanctifying you. It's, it's talking about setting you apart. It's bringing you out from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. How many people know whenever God speaks about the Israelites in the Old Testament, he's talking about you and I. He's talking about believers in Christ. Whenever he, Egypt is mentioned in the Old Testament, it's talking about the world, and it's not that the world is evil, it's just that God has to bring us up out of the world, he has to save us, he has to sanctify us from, that's the first promise, is that he promises that he will save us, how many people know that salvation is instant, the minute you invite Jesus Christ into your life, you are saved, going to heaven, no doubt whatsoever, okay, no matter how much your head doubts, It's not a doubt. If you have said, Jesus, be my Lord and Savior, forgive me of my sin and cleanse me. You are saved. You're going to heaven. You can walk out in front of a bus on the motorway and you'll be right because you'll end up in heaven. But there's one thing to be saved, it's another thing to be delivered. So he promises to save us and then he promises to deliver us. Because I don't know about you, but I need deliverance. Does anybody say amen to that this morning? Don't leave me hanging. Because One thing to be saved, that's another thing to be delivered from my bad attitudes, wrong thinking, and all the all the wrong things that I've learned over the years of I've grown up, the wrong ways of thinking. The Bible says this that his ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. And so the whole deliverance process that God takes us through is the transformation of our thinking. That's why the Bible says that you shall be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How many people salvation does not transform you, it just saves you it's transformation of our thinking the way that we think that causes us to be delivered from bad habits and addictions and all those sorts of things how many people are glad that god doesn't just save us and leave us in a mess but then he delivers us and not only does he save us and deliver us but then he redeems us to do something of significance and and, and it's the last the third promise is, is that i will redeem you with a powerful arm and with great acts of judgment. And we know that one of the great things that he does with his powerful arm is that Psalm says that he stoops down to make us great. I love that about God. Not only does he save us and deliver us, but then he wants to make us great. Isn't that awesome? That greatness is on the inside of each and every one of us. And that the acts of judgment that he talks about here is not for you and me, but for the enemy of our souls. And I just love the fact that God God just keeps on going. You know, He doesn't just save and he doesn't just deliver, but he wants to make us great and he's going to sort out the enemy of our souls whenever he comes against us. The Bible says this in Psalms, it says that he will quench or he will destroy every voice that rises up against us in judgment. It's so good to know that I can just get on with living my life. I can just get on with loving him, that I can just get on with trying to be the best disciple that I can be, and he takes care of all the other business. I don't have to fight my battles. I don't have to justify my actions. He takes care of all of that, and my job is just to keep on pursuing him because I'm redeemed for something great, and I keep on going. And the last promise that we started to look at last week, and we're going to finish this week, is where he says that, uh, you will be my people and I will be your God. And and really what he's saying there is that people will realize because of my salvation, because of my deliverance, because I've redeemed you for something, that people are going to realize that you're mine. And not only that, but they're going to realize that I'm yours. It's it's a two way street here. It's not just about we become him and his, and he owns us now, and and now we have to walk around like a bunch of robots and do whatever he says. It's not just that. It's like they'll know that you're mine, but really cool thing is that they know that I'm yours. That I am for you and not against you. That I have great plans for you and a future and a hope and all those sorts of things. And and we understand that really, as we look through last week, the different things about what we need in our lives, from security to love to all those sorts of things, that one of the things that we need to know, that we need the most to live a fulfilled life, is we need to be able to help other people. And I think that's what Christ is all about. He did not come and die on the cross because he wanted to, he came and did it because it was best for us. And there's something that happens in our world where we become incredibly fulfilled. There's a fulfillment that happens in our lives, not only when we're saved, not only when we're delivered, not only when we're redeemed, but when we understand that now we can go and help others, that we can now go and and help them to be saved delivered and redeemed. Can anybody say amen to that? It's it's a need called transcendence where we do something that's outside of ourselves, beyond ourselves, beyond our ability, beyond all those things. And and we know that, that that's a promise in Scripture, isn't it? In, the, in Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to him, who's him? God, who is able to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine according to his power that's at work within us. And so the scripture is really this transcendent need that we have to do something beyond ourselves, bigger than we could imagine, bigger than we could think, bigger than we could ever dream of that it is possible because of his power that's at work in us. The biggest problem we have is, is that we think that the dreams that we have and the vision that we have or the desires of our heart that we have to do things, we think it's not possible because we forget that it's about his power, not our power. Remember this, the scripture says this, it's not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. So it's not about how, what I can do, it's about what he can do, and it's about his power within me. How many people know his power is limitless? Come on, his power is limitless. His power does not have stumbling blocks His power does not have walls that get in the way. His power does not have difficulties that can't be overcome. His power does not have health issues that stops it. His power does not have financial issues that restrict it. His power does not have relational problems that cause a derailment of my vision. His power that's at work within me, it's dependent on His power. It's not dependent on my power. So therefore, I'm free to dream. I'm free to dream beyond limits. I'm free to have crazy ideas, which everybody else thinks are stupid because It's not reliant on my power. It's reliant on his power that works in us. And so how do we get the power of God working in us? How do we get this power of God working in us? By simply obeying what he tells us to do. So obedience is the key to releasing God's presence in our lives. Why? Because sacrifice is a one-off event, but obeying is a daily thing. That's why the Bible says to obey is better than sacrifice. Because in my obeying, in my each step of obedience, another door, another opportunity, another oh my goodness moment opens up to me. And so his power is in us and his power is not restricted unless we don't let it work within us. And so a life beyond limits is only possible when we are serving An extraordinary God. It's impossible otherwise. It's only with His power working in us that we can do that and that we can see things. But most of us believe that we are not world changers. We do not look at ourselves in the mirror and go, "Man, that's a world changer right there." We look in the mirror and go, "Man, I could do something about that." And that's not too flash. And and uh," or or we look at ourselves and we. Rather than looking in the mirror of ourselves, we look in the mirror of others and we start comparing ourselves to other people. And I'm not a good dad because so-and-so is a better dad. And I'm not a good husband because so-and-so is a better husband. And I'm dumb because this person's intelligent. And we start looking in the mirror of other people's lives rather than looking at what God's created us to be. And the reason why we don't see ourselves as world well changes is because we don't see what God sees. And what God sees is this power that's on the inside of us that has the capacity to do something wonderful. And the people that have changed the world, the secret to them, the secret to the disciples is they saw themselves as world changers. They never saw themselves as restricted. And so why don't we, why don't we see ourselves as world changers? Well, a lot of the problem really comes down to historically how the church has behaved. A lot of the reason why we don't see ourselves as world changers is because historically we've had this mindset that there are ministers and then there's non-ministers. So there's like pastors and then there's congregation. Or there's leaders and then there's servers. And so we've had this, this concept that unless you're a minister or a leader, then you're not of anything important. That you're just a person of no significance and the problem is we have that because when we look in the Old Testament and the way that it worked in the Old Testament is that God used a person, yes? a lot of the time it was a prophet or it was a high priest or it was Moses or it was Aaron or it was Joshua it was always an individual or a person that God seemed to use in the Old Testament to bring about his plans and his purposes and so everything rose or fall on the one person and and we kind of look at that now and we kind of think oh man that's that's how it works and that's how a lot of people think as I hear people say things well I'm not a pastor and oh, I'm not a you know we invite him to team night. well I'm I'm not a leader. Yeah you are a leader. The Bible says that you're the head and not the tail. L- leadership is not about your position. Leadership is about your mindset. You're a leader in your home. If you're a parent you're leading your children. Come on. You're a leader in your workplace. We we're, we're all leaders. And but we, we've unfortunately and because of because of New Testament and because of the way the church historically has operated, we think that there's just special people that have special assignments and the rest of us are just here to make up the numbers. And the crazy thing is, is that when Jesus turned up in the New Testament, that all changed. That mindset completely changed because Jesus started saying things to ordinary people like, you are the light of the world. He started saying to ordinary people that you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses throughout the entire earth. And so Jesus comes along and he makes it really, really clear that God wants his power in every single person's life. That it's not just up to special individuals or prophets or priests, but he starts transitioning the whole way of how we do Christianity to saying every single person has the power of God on the inside of them. Every single person has the Holy Spirit power. Every single person has that power that does the unimaginable. The impossible, the unbelievable, every single person. He he changed the rules when he came along. And friend, this was before he died on the cross, before the new covenant. He just overrode something that just wasn't quite right. He loves taking ordinary people and using them to do extraordinary things. It's the way God works. That's why we love those movies Where somebody comes from nothing, can they become something? Because that's our cry on the inside of us. Because we see ourselves as ordinary, but we want to do something extraordinary. And we sit there, we watch movies, man, if only, if only I had that opportunity. If only that happened to me. If only then I could be extraordinary too. But the friend, the reason why they became extraordinary is because they were ordinary, and if there's any ordinary people here in this place, then you're a prime candidate for God to do the extraordinary, because when it's just ordinary, it's within my might, but when it's extraordinary, it's within His Spirit and His power. And so I'm glad that we have a building filled with ordinary people, because ordinary people are candidates to be extraordinary. What a thought, some of you would be more excited about that. Are there any ordinary people in the place? If you're ordinary, you qualify. You qualify to be chosen. See, the Bible says this, that many are called, but few are chosen. In other words, every single one of us is called to be extraordinary, but few are chosen. Why are few chosen? Because few ever put their hand up to be it. So Jesus says, who can I send? Who can I send? And Isaiah said, oh, send me. It's not that there was a lack of people. It's just a lack of volunteers. So the problem of the historic church is this, is that we worked out over a period of time historically as a church that that we could actually employ people and we could pay people to be pastors and leaders and and they could run around and do everything. It's gone quiet now. They could do all the visiting and they could do all the praying and they could do everything and slowly but surely the church sat passively on the sidelines and watched those that are paid to do the work of the ministry. Historically, the church, the people have learned that they can be part of a church without any real sacrifice or personal commitment to the well-being of the church community. And that's why we have people sporadic in their attendance, sporadic in their giving, because it's somebody else's problem, not mine, because I can just sit back and attend on a Sunday and tick my box because that makes me a Christian, which it doesn't but I don't have to commit anything more to this thing. Yet this is a family. And I wonder how your family would be at home if you treated it with the same attitude you treated this. I wonder how your marriage would be if you just tick the boxes. I wonder if your children would love you if you just did the bare minimum. You see, the thing is, is this, friend. Can I say this this morning? God help us if whether the vision of this place comes to pass or not is based on the people that work in that office. Because I'm one of them, for starters, and that's not good. I can't really criticize the next two. Gina and uh, uh, Andrea are amazing. But if it's just relying on two and a half people to do it, friend, we're in trouble. You know, quite often I get introduced to people... introduce me you know to other people as this 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 is Craig he pastors our church this is Craig he pastors our church can i say to you this morning as i thought about that this week i thought you know what no i don't i'm not the pastor of your church you're the pastor of your church come on you're the pastor of your church i'm i'm not the church's pastor My job is to train you to do the work. Ephesians 4, 11, verse 12 says this. Now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, and their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So guess what? My job is to equip you. It's your job to do the work. The paid staff are not there to do all the work. They're there to equip the body to do the work. You're the pastors. You're the leaders. You're the people that are changing your workplaces, your schools, your community. You're the one that are transforming your neighbors. My job, our job, is is our responsibility, the scripture puts it, is to equip you so that you can do that. And if we're not equipping you to do that, then go to a church that is because we're failing you. Glad nobody got up and left right then. That's really awesome. But that's the role. That's the it's a gift. The, the apostles, the evangelists, the prophets, the pastors, and the teachers are gifts that God gives to the church to equip the church to actually do the work. And nowhere in Scripture whatsoever is there, biblically whatsoever, the traditional mindset that we have of paid staff and everybody else it's just not in the bible now I'm not saying that we should stop paying staff because <laughs> they're not be in trouble we need some people to do those things yes and, but that doesn't mean that it negates the responsibility of what our ministry is it just says that that's there what they've been called to do but I've got something to do too but I'll tell you what there's a whole lot of biblical evidence that God wants all of his children to serve as his ambassadors. In fact, he calls us his ambassadors. You know what an ambassador does? An ambassador represents a country. And when that ambassador speaks, not only does it speak on behalf of the country, but it speaks with the backing of the country. And he's called every single one of us to be his ambassadors, which means that we represent the kingdom of heaven. And when we speak, we speak on its behalf, and all of heaven backs us. Not the paid staff, you. Every single one of you, every single person sitting in a seat this morning, including myself, are an ambassador of Christ. And it's my job to represent the kingdom, to speak the kingdom, and all of the kingdom is behind me. So when it says that while I was sick, you visited me. When I was um, poor, you clothed me. When I was hungry, you fed me. And, and they go, when do we do this, Lord? And he says, what you did for the least of these, you did for me. Who did that? People did it, not the pastors, not the apostles, not the prophets. I'm not saying that it immunes us from having to do any of that, but I'm trying to tell you that when Christ looks down and he sees that you made a meal for somebody who was struggling, you didn't make a meal for them, you made a meal for him. When you see somebody who whose kids just don't have shoes because they're poor and you buy shoes for them, you haven't brought shoes for the children, you bought shoes for Jesus. Come on, you got to get this on the inside of you and understand that you are his representative every single one of us one sets a flight to a thousand, two ten thousand. imagine what 200 could do come on this is what it's all about this is why we are world changers because clearly biblically every single one of us has been called to change the world 1 peter 2 9 says this but you are my chosen people a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There's no such thing as high priests anymore or special people anymore. We're all in the priesthood of believers. We're all a holy nation. We've all been chosen of God to do something. God's special position. you, my, me, the person beside you, God's special position that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Isn't that awesome that every single one of us has been called to be ministers, to serve, to do something for the kingdom. And just because I'm a pastor, my connection to God is no better than your connection to God. I don't get extra privileges. Be nice, but I don't. You know, I hear some people, some, you know, they, they text out and they ask for prayer because they're going for a job or whatever. And I always pray when people ask me to do that. And I just text back, yep, yeah, we'll do, no problem. And someone texts me, it just seems to always feel better when you know the pastor's praying. And I, and I went back and said, mate, my prayers are no more powerful than your prayers. Maybe I shouldn't, I didn't say this, but I thought about it. maybe I shouldn't pray so that you can see that God works for you just as much as if I did it. I've had people come to me and say, man, I, I got demonic visitations coming during the night, visiting in my bedroom and trying to choke me. You need to come and pray for my house. I said, no, you pray for your house. You tell it to go. But, 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 but. Hold on, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, lives and abides within you. It doesn't say the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives and abides in pastors, apostles, prophets, evangelists, teachers, and everybody else, you don't have anything. Come on. Those who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Or is it when pastors call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. You have to understand that we are all ministers. We're all called to this. This. Your connection to God is is just, in fact, some of you probably got a better connection to God than I have. Just because I get up here and preach every Sunday doesn't mean that I have it all together. Please, don't ever think that. I lose it with my kids too. I'll even tell you, if I hit my thumb with a hammer, sometimes there's some words that come out of my mouth that I have to repent of later. I struggle with things. I'm not nobody that gets on a pulpit. is perfect. It's just that that's what they're called to do. But what are you called to do? Because even though our gifts and contributions may differ, we're all equally important. Every single one of us. Just because my gift is leadership does not make me better or more important than you. We're all equal in the kingdom. 1 Peter 4.10 says this, God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. And then what does he say? Use them well, what? To serve one another. Are you using your gifts to serve other people? Or are you like, man, that's not my role, I don't do that kind of thing. And, you know, I say to some people sometimes in prayer meetings, hey, you pray out this morning, oh, I can't do that. Yeah, you can. We can all do that. In fact, the the more of us that do that, the better. The more of us that lead, the better. The more of us that pray, the better. The more that us that minister, the better. We're all equal because we're all uniquely created by God for different purposes. He's deliberately wired us differently. (laughs) Come on. Imagine if we were all the same. Jesus, help us. Imagine if we were all like Isaac. It'd be fantastic. We could all wear fedoras like he can. I think all of us should be, I I think there's one gift that God should really give all of us, don't you believe? The ability to play the guitar like Rob, the bass like Phil, the drums like Ben. The keys like the young girls, I, th- I think God's selfish that he doesn't share that with us. But you know what, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. You are not one in a million, you're one of a kind. You're not one in a million, you're one of a kind. We don't need another Dave Morgan, we already have one. And Gina would be really confused if there was two. We don't need another Jolene, we already have one. We don't need another Chris Botha, we already have one. We don't need another John Tana, we already have one. We do need him to catch us more fish when he goes fishing, to share with the family, the fun out. But we don't need another John Tana. We don't need another one. We don't need another Rachel, we already got a Rachel. We just need Rachel and John and Jolene and Dave and every single one of us to be you to be who God called you to be and not try to be the person that he didn't call you to be. If God hasn't called you to stand at the front and preach, then stop trying to. If God hasn't called you to, to uh, do youth ministry, then don't do youth ministry. It's horrible when you're not called to do something and you end up doing it. Do the thing that it is that God has chosen you to do. People think of themselves as average with nothing important to give. Most of us do. We Most of us think that we're we're average or we look at our faults and our failings and we think, how could God use that? What doesn't help is that the devil reinforces this thinking with thoughts in your head of you don't matter and you're not special and you aren't important. You know, that's why the Bible says this in Philippians, when you think, think on these things, things which are good and pleasing. And you know, Trinity shared last night with the ladies that for every negative word that goes into your brain, five positive words have to be said just to counteract the effect that that one negative word has. That's science. Science. It's not, don't think it's airy-fairy, it's science. When a negative word is spoken, it triggers different things in your brain and causes fear or all sorts of thought processes to begin. And it takes five positive words just to nullify the effect of the one word, let alone get you going back in the right direction. It's really, really important, friend, that we stop thinking on these things where we think we don't matter and we're not special and we aren't important. And 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 the problem in the church is that if you go around telling people how awesome you are, everyone thinks that you're that you need to be humbled. But if you go around telling how everyone how awesome you are because that's the way that God made you, and you're awesome because He's asked you to do this, that's not humility. That's called that's called walking out what God has called you to do. That's why I love the Apostle Paul so much because he starts off most of his epistles with Paul, an apostle called by God, not by man. Yeah, He's he's not ashamed to say, this is what I've been called to do. And I don't really care if you don't like it or not because it's not you that chose me, it's him that chose me. That's not arrogance, that's just understanding our gifting. Yeah? Rob Tonkin. Guitarists, called by God, not by man. (laughs) You should get like a business card, Rob, that says that. That would be awesome. Listen to this. I love this out of the Message Bible. 1 Corinthians 12, 4-7 says this. God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in God's Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere but they all originate in God's spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere. But God himself is behind it all. Each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out by the spirit and to all kinds of people, and the variety is Wonderful. Is't that awesome? I love this bit here where it says, everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. You see, I benefit when you uh, when Kim Tonkin is the Kim Tonkin that God called him to be, I benefit. He benefits, but I benefit. When you you become the person that God's called you to be, we benefit. Why? Because the Bible teaches that we're all linked. We're all one in the body of Christ. What happens in your world affects my world. That's why it says we mourn with those who mourn. We rejoice with those who rejoice. Too much in the church, we we mourn when somebody's rejoicing and rejoice when somebody's mourning. You know what I mean? Somebody successfully, something happens and they get a new car, or a new house or a new boat and and instead of celebrating with them, we complain about how we never get God ever does anything for us. And then when something bad happens to that person, we rejoice because it makes us feel better. Come on, it's just been real this morning. I can't wait. I've said this tons of times in the life of our church, but I can't wait to the day somebody in our church becomes a millionaire and we get them at the front to share how they made their first million. And what we give is a standing ovation and not criticism. Because that's what God's called. Maybe that God's called them to be an entrepreneur and a businessman, to make copious amounts of money, what, for the kingdom of God so that orphans can be fed and solemn mums can be taken care of and these kids in Syria don't have to suffer the way that they are. The church is the answer to the world, but the church only works when everybody gets in on it because then everybody benefits from it. We need to embrace our uniqueness and our giftedness. Don't try and be me, please. I'm terrible. Don't try and be somebody else. Be you. Be you. Don't try and be clear because when she says a pun, it's kind of funny. But when you say it, it just doesn't work. You see, the ultimate goal for me, for you, and the ultimate goal that should be for you is to be able to stand up one day and say, you know what? I was made for this, I was born for this. This is my jam. This is what I do. This is who I am. That's the ultimate goal. And you know what? It's never too late. Oh, it's too late for me. It's never too late for you. It wasn't too late for Abraham and Sarah. It's never too late for you. I've messed up too big. It's all too complicated. Don't believe any of that lie. Because God specializes in taking our failures and turning them into gifts that he can use. Who better to talk to parents that are going through struggles with their children than somebody who's gone through struggles with their children? Come on. Who better to talk to someone who's come out of an abusive relationship than somebody who's been for an abusive relationship? Come on, fulfillment comes when we minister to others from our own stories. Fulfillment comes when we're part of a team. And that's why there's this promise in Exodus 6-7 says, I will claim you as my own people my own people together. He never promised to make you a fulfilled person in isolation. He promises to make you part of a family, and in that comes the fulfillment. And He is our own example, and that there's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Even God lives in communion, and He wants us to live in communion also. True fulfillment comes not when we're alone. It only comes when we're with people doing something of significance, doing something that changes the world, working together. And I believe, as a finish on this this morning, there are three things that every single one of us really wants in our world. And the first thing is this, everyone wants to make a contribution. Everybody wants to feel like that they're doing something of significance, that they're part of the things that are happening Everyone wants to. I know that everybody wants to do that because we never have problem getting volunteers for the Christmas bash because everybody loves being part of this event where we see thousands from our community come along and are blessed and have an encounter with God in a way that they never dreamt they could because they think all the church wants is things from them. And we never have problem. In fact, the most sought-after area is the hot chips area. It's almost like there's become a an addiction to that area by certain people. It's like, it's mine! It's precious. (laughs) But we can't do something like the bash without a group of people because we always make better progress when we're together. We always go further. The Bible says this, one, a thousand, two, ten thousand. How can one stand alone but when two are together? Come on. There's power in the togetherness. Everybody wants to make a contribution. The second thing is is everybody wants community. Everybody. I don't. Well, that's because you haven't got a revelation yet. Everybody wants community. It's how God made us to be communal beings, not as detached islands. That's why he said it's not good for man to be alone. It wasn't about how he's he's, um, sexually frustrated because it's just him. It's not good for man to be alone. He needs somebody. He needs community. He needs, he needs something. And the crazy thing is he wasn't alone because he had God. He used to walk with him in the garden. And then God says it's not good for him to be alone. What is he saying? It's not good for him not to have other people around him. He needs someone. We're not called to be detached islands. And this is why the, the devil works so hard to destroy relationships destroy, it's, it's a really interesting thing that I see happening in the world today is that we seem to be highlighting the the outcome, not the problem. And I don't mean to offend anybody this morning when I do this, but, but you know, some of you may be fairly passionate about the Black Lives Matter campaign. You know what? The th- crazy thing is, this has all come about by this perception and in some cases it has been but this perception that white cops just go around shooting black people and so black lives matter i'll tell you what's even scarier than that is that 70 75 of murders in america is black on black not white on black but why 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 do we have this problem in the first place is it not black lives matter i want to tell you families matter the reason why they have that problem in America, the reason why we have the problem we have here is not because kids are out of control, it's because families are broken. And when you have a dysfunctional family, you have dysfunctional community because we're born to live in community and we have families functioning well within a community. We have a community functioning well. The problem is not white cops shooting black people. The problem is destroyed families, dysfunctional families. Kids walk in the streets because parents don't care about them and they're bored and they don't have anything because dad spends all his money on alcohol or gambles all the money away. And so instead of him being able to have the clothes that he'd like to have that his dad should provide for him financially and the food that he should have because his parents should provide for him financially. He has to go and steal it or rob someone or something so that he can survive. The problem is not violence and the problem is not gangs and the problem is not white cops shooting black people. The problem is broken families. Because we're born to live in community. And when we live in community, we don't have those problems because everybody looks after each other and everybody ministers their gifts. And when everybody's in on it, everyone benefits from it. Third thing is that everybody wants a celebration. Everybody. Who loves a party? Come on, put your hand up if you love a party. Because I don't believe that was only a few hands. We all love a party. Unless it's like our 40th or our 60th or something like that. We all love a party, yes? Parties suck when it's just you. Having a party Saturday night, yeah, and no one turns up. It's not a party. (laughs) It's not fun. It's not cool. You can't have a party on your own. You can't have a party on your own. Party requires people. I'm pretty sure that Elisa McCartney, I think her name is, is not... I want a bronze medal. I'm going to go to my room and have a party on my own. Yeah. In fact, when she was doing the pole vault, was it yesterday? It was yesterday, wasn't it? I'm on the couch, I'm pole vaulting with her. <laughs> sucking the gut, sucking the gut. When Valerie Adams is shot putting it on, the helping it. I don't even know Eliza McCartney. I don't even know Valerie. have never met. But I feel like she's family. Because she's Kiwi. And when she wins a medal, I win a medal. I've won 17 medals at this Olympics Games. And we all get on Facebook and social media and we celebrate the success of these people that we don't even know. Why? Because when everybody gets in on it, everybody benefits from it. And when everybody gets in on it, everybody gets to celebrate about it. When everybody gets in on it, when you win, I win. When you lose, I lose. And so I can celebrate with you. But it's only when we understand that They will become my people and I'll become their God. And then we're gonna do something phenomenal. We're gonna step into promised lands. We're gonna see the walls of Jericho come down. We're gonna see the promises that God always promised us come to pass. We're gonna be people that walk and wherever our feet go, God's gonna give it to us. And we're gonna celebrate. A celebration, a voice of triumph. That's what happens when we all get on on it, and we all understand that we're all called to do something, and it's not up to one or two or the frozen few. It's up to all of us, and that's why these promises are so terrific, because the first three is all about me, but the last one is all about all of us, and I can't think of a better way to celebrate communion this morning as the guys come and you guys come and start handing out the communion. That'll be fantastic. Because these four promises are the four promises that the Israelites celebrate every year when it comes to the Passover festival. They celebrate God's salvation, they celebrate His deliverance, they celebrate His redemption, and then they always come to the last cup. The last cup is called the Halal cup, because they have four cups of wine and they sip from each one as a representation of what God has done. And they always come to the last one, which is the halal cup. And halal is where we get the word hallelujah. And it means to boast or declare or to celebrate what has been done. So when we come to communion this morning, it's a celebration. It's a celebration of what he has done, but it's also a celebration of what we're going to do with him together. It's never a time to come around and go, Oh man, I'm I'm such a filthy, rotten sinner and I've made so many mistakes, but thank God for communion, because now I can get my life right with God. Friend, if you're waiting for communion before you get life right with God, I, I have news for you, you're in trouble. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that communion is about getting your life right with God. Communion was established by Jesus saying, hey, when you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Remembrance of what? Of his salvation, of his deliverance, of His redemption and of the great plans and purposes that He has for us and how we're going to accomplish them and how we're going to see things wild beyond our wildest dreams. Things that we could never imagine could happen are going to happen. And that's what communion is all about. It's celebrating what He's done and it's celebrating about what He's about to do. And so this morning, this is not a somber moment. This is an exciting time. This is a great time for us as we celebrate our salvation, as we celebrate our Deliverance as we celebrate our our redemption, and as we celebrate the great things that we're going to do together with Him. Let me read for you again out of Corinthians because I want us to understand what He says here. He says God's various gifts are handed out everywhere, but they all originate in His Spirit. God's various ministries are carried out everywhere but they all originate in his spirit. God's various expressions of power are in action everywhere, but God himself is behind it all. What is he trying to say? He's trying to say, friend, you're going to do amazing things. You're going to do great things. There's greatness on the inside of you, but you have to understand that every gift you have, every ministry you do, every power that comes from you, it all starts in me, and it all starts in me because of what I did on the cross of Calvary. And because I rose from the dead, that power is now in you so that you can do exceedingly more than you could have asked, think, or imagined. Because I've saved you. I've delivered you. I've redeemed you. Now let's go and have a party and celebrate the great things that we're going to do, the great things that are in front of us, the incredible things that are before us. And each person is given something to do that shows who God is. Everyone gets in on it. Everyone benefits. All kinds of things are handed out in the Spirit and to all kinds of people. And the variety is wonderful. And so this morning, friend, as much as we appreciate what Christ has done for us, it's time to celebrate our uniqueness, and our giftedness, and understand that that's what God wants you to be. And so this morning, as we take communion, I want us to go, you know what, God, I thank you. I thank you that I'm a little bit eccentric. I thank you that I'm a perfectionist, because we need perfectionists, as long as they don't get psychotic on us, because excellence is a gift to the world. Thank you, God, that I love to dance, his dance is a gift to the world. Thank you, God, that I love to sing. Thank you, God, that I love to bake. Thank you, God, for all these things that I love to do that you have gifted me to do, because I know, I know that when you died on the cross and you saved me, you delivered me, you redeemed me, that it was really all about the next phase, which is to do something that's wild beyond my wildest dreams. And so as you take communion this morning, I want it to be a celebration of the great things that God has gifted you to do. As little or as big as you think they are, they're awesome, and we need them. And when we partake of the bread and we partake of the juice, the Bible says that we're partaking of Him. Because why? Because we will be His people, and He will be our God. Why don't you stand to your feet this morning?